0: I'm going to unpack a little bit of history and then I'm going to bring to light a little bit of how God moves. So the history is in Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 28. David assembled all the princes of Israel and the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies and the ministers unto the king by course, and the captains over the thousands, and the captains over the hundreds, and, he's, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king, and of his sons with the officers, and with the mighty men, and with the valiant men unto Jerusalem. This sounds like a big ordeal. Everybody who's somebody the king has called out whether you were a captain whether you were a prince whether you were a steward whether you were dusting the cobwebs or whether you were counting the gold coins the king has called you out then david the king stood upon his feet and said that means after he's called everybody into the room he's ready to speak after he's called everybody into the room, he's ready to speak. I believe God called everybody into the room this morning, and whenever he decided to speak, everybody listened. Amen. That's the order of heaven, and that's how it's done on earth. If you want to be anointed and you want to have impartation, you've got to call everybody into the room so that you can be ready to deliver and speak the power and the anointing and the authority that God has put on your tongue. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The first thing he says is, Hear me, my brethren, and my people. He's not just talking to the kinfolk, the blood related to him, but he's talking to his people. That means the people that are close to him and the people that are his associates, the people that he's passed on the street, the people that he sat and ate dinner with. He has called the captains and the high chiefs and those that rule over the people. Now he's calling in the kinfolk and he's calling in the people themselves. And he's saying, hear me. This is a big announcement. Everybody who's anybody, whether you change the toilet paper roll in the bathroom or you count the gold coins that go into the safe house, everybody is included. That means he is no respecter of person from the highest in Israel to the lowest in Israel. He has put everybody in one assembly. Can somebody say amen this morning? He said, as for me, I had in mine heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. To translate that, he said, I had an idea to build a house for Yahweh where his ark would rest. Amen? And for the footstool of our God, meaning the place where he would put his feet, this is not a lazy boy chair with a big fluffy pillow. This is the place where God will establish his feet. That means that's the place where he's standing. That means that's the place that he's going to set up his kingdom and put down his reign. And underneath his feet, the thing that separates him by a tiny, minuscule micropence of what he really is, is the golden box or the art of the covenant. The only thing that keeps Jehovah's feet from landing in that spot is a tiny gold box called the Ark of the Covenant. Hallelujah. Because if he landed on the earth, he shakes things up every time. Look at Sinai. The, The top of the mountain is still black. It really is. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he made a seer, built a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for a footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. He had prepared and advanced everything that was needed for this building. But there's about to be a little bit of a disappointment in David's heart. Notice he didn't say, I had an idea. He didn't say, I think it might be a good thought. He said, from my heart, I wanted to build a permanent house for the Lord. Every good intention that he had, every good thing that was in his spirit out of his heart Not out of his own gain, because we're going to read here in a second, there's a lot of gold, a lot of precious stones, a lot of silver, a lot of fine wood that goes into this building. It wasn't out of his own monetary gain that he wanted to do this. It wasn't out of his own glory, because his name wasn't even put on a single stone nor a single rod. He wanted to do it out of his heart. But this is what the Lord tells him. And for some reason, David rests well with it. He says, But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name. That's a bit of a slap in the face. I, and if you look at it from David's perspective, he's not just some guy. He's the king of Israel. And he's not even a wimpy king of Israel. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. There weren't too many people on the earth that got in David's way. If another army opposed him, he destroyed them. If another king wanted to take his place, he knocked them out. If there were lands that had been overtaken by previous generations that belonged to Israel, David went in there and moved those people off the land and took all their stuff. David was a powerful man. Not only was he a king, but he was anointed. And not only was he an anointed king, but he was the apple of God's eye. He was a psalmist. He was a worshiper. Everybody that saw David knew who he was. Everybody that seen David dance in the street knew that he was blessed of God. Everything that David touched had increase. Everything that David did overcame. David was a powerful, loved, mighty man of God. And he's saying, out of my heart, from all the things that I've been blessed with, I want to build a permanent house for God. And God says, no. Now you would think that a person of that stature and of that magnitude and of those accolades and accomplishments that he of anybody would surely be chosen to build a house for God. But he wasn't. He had all the money to do it. He had all the followers to do it. He had all the respect to do it. He had all the manpower to do it. He was the most advanced army of the Middle East at the time. But God said no. And I'm even confused by that one. So what does God say no for? He always gives a reason. Anytime God tells you no, there's a reason. But usually we stop at God said no and we don't understand the reason because we focus on the no. No. I just stepped on some toes, but you'll be okay. I promise we'll get through this message. This is the rough part. The beginnings with me are always rough, but we get to the overcoming part in a minute. <laughs> because thou hast been a man of war and has shed blood, that was the reason that David could not build the house of God. Ironically, the very thing that God called him to be was the very thing that prevented him from being what he wanted to be. Somebody pick up what I just put down. The very thing that God called him to be was the thing that prevented him from what he wanted to be. We'll do that again. The very thing that God called him to be was the very thing that prevented him from being what he wanted to be he was the only king that ever made a sacrifice in the temple he was a priest king an allowed sacrifice saul tried it and the moment that saul tried to make a sacrifice before the lord it's like somebody came along and plucked off his anointing because he went against what he was called to be. David was a priest king, the only man king anointed of God to reign over Israel and the only king allowed to make a sacrifice. But the very thing that God called him to be in his life prevented him from what he wanted to be in his life. We're opening doors. We're getting to an overcoming place. We're having realizations snap into our minds. The very bridge between your body and your spirit is your mind. I'm about to get your gears a-rolling. Hallelujah. Now, as we roll down through the chapter, and we're going to skip some verses, we're going to go down to verse 9, chapter 28, verse 9, because David lists all the reasons why He was called to be king and all the reasons why he shouldn't have been king and all the miracles that made him become king. Because if you remember, David was on the backside of the field hanging out with the sheep and he wasn't even counted amongst his sons, wasn't even counted amongst his brothers by his father. His father did not even bring him before the prophet. This is the kid that nobody thought about. This is the youngest of the young, the little runt out there in the field watching the sheep. That's who David was. He becomes king of Israel. He becomes priest king of Israel. He becomes a warrior that kills the tens of thousands. Not the thousands, but the tens of thousands. The one that's forgotten on the backside of the field, killing a bear with a slingshot, killing a lion with a slingshot. That's the one that gets called up. That means that somebody left their kid out in the middle of a field, all alone, and they had to defend themselves from a bear and a lion with a slingshot. What kind of parenting do they do in that era? That means that boy, that child, that Rudy lad learned how to fend for himself. Alone, out in the dark in the wilderness and he wasn't concerned for himself, he was concerned for his sheep because one day he would be watching over sheeple. See, the little things that were unimportant that made you unacknowledgeable and invisible prepared David to be completely visible. Somebody pick that up. Somebody pick that up. Somebody get blessed by that. I said the very thing that made David invisible was the same thing that taught him how to be loved, how to be seen by the whole kingdom. Somebody pick that up. So what that tells me is the very thing that has made you invisible is preparing you for your kingdom reign, hallelujah. The very thing that has put you in the backside of the wilderness has prepared you to sit on a throne. Hallelujah. The very thing that has made you obscure, not thought about, the forgotten kid on the backside of the woods fending for yourself is making you ready to sit on a throne and reign over something. Somebody pick up what I'm putting down. Hallelujah. Glory to God. See, Rulers are not born, they are created. They are shaped by the circumstances of their life. They are molded by the conditions of their mortality. They are beaten into place by the obscure demons that try to keep them down. And when they overcome the things that have pushed them under, they become victorious because they know where they fell to before they got up. Hallelujah. Glory, to Jesus, Lord, I dare. I ain't even got halfway through what I'm supposed to read. Glory to God, Hallelujah. David has a, a son, and his name is Solomon. And we know Solomon for his wealth and his wisdom. But I'm about to unlock a, a door for you. Somebody say, unlock the door. I'm about to open a spiritual door for you and give you the keys to how Solomon made his father David look like a kindergartner in rulership. Come on. The first king of Israel was Saul, and then came David. Saul killed thousands. David killed tens of thousands. Saul was a madman, a lunatic who had to be soothed in the night by music. David was the man of war, but he was loved by people, but loved by the people. Solomon and his kingdom was a completely different arrangement. And this is the impartation. Somebody say impartation. This is the impartation that David begins to speak over his son Solomon. Now take a listen here to what the Word of God records. Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. So he's establishing bloodline and he's giving him instruction and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. He didn't say a willing spirit, he didn't say with a willing hand, he didn't say with a willing mouth. He said serve him with a willing mind. That means if you're going to reign, you better use your head. Don't be thoughtless. Jesus does not call fools and idiots. He calls people who are of the mind of Christ. You have to if you have a mind of Christ, that means you have a mind of God. God is the mind that engineered the entire world. He is not a stupid being. Amen. That means whenever he makes a decision, he stands on it because he's thought about it, because he's looked at it through the future. He's reflected on the past. He's standing in the present, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. He's a decided mind. Hallelujah. But a good mind can only follow a good heart, a pure heart. Amen. For the Lord searches all hearts and understandeth all imaginations of thoughts. Whew. Hallelujah. David is giving Solomon instructions and a warning. He says, you're not dealing with a piece of brass, and you're not looking at a rock, and you're not dealing with an idol that has been carved by the hands of man. You're dealing with a living God that can get in your head, can get in your heart, knows your imagination, Not your thoughts, not your intentions, even the wildest parts of your imagination. And I've got a really good imagination. (laughs) Everything that you would imagine, God is in your head, watching your imagination. So you can't even escape the imaginary thoughts that are good, bad, or indifferent, because God sees all things, hears all things, discerns all things, and knows all things. He's in your business. Amen? That's That's, these are the words so far in front of who? We're focusing on Solomon. David is speaking to Solomon. David is saying this in front of everybody in Israel. This is not a private conversation. This is not something where David took Solomon off to the corner and says, Hey, I'm about to give you a warning. You may be king, but you've got to live under God. And it ain't the kind of in God we trust you just stamp on a coin and forget about and throw in your pocket. This is a living God that's going to get in your head and going to get in your heart. And he's saying it in front of the entire nation from the gold coin counters and the chiefs and the priests to those that are sweeping off the sidewalk. Everybody's listening. And Solomon is the focal point of the whole thing. And he's not cracked under pressure yet because it doesn't say he smote his father there. So he's standing there taking it in front of everybody. So he's not just having a private conversation with daddy about taking over the kingdom. He's taking a licking right in front of everybody and he ain't even accepted the crown. He's not even put on the robe. He's not wearing the ring. But he's already getting smacked around before he ever gets handed it. He's getting a warning shot before anybody ever knows what he's he's going to accomplish. Because David, his father was a man that looked ahead. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. If you look for God, you'll find him. That's experience talking. Everything that David is imparting, say impartation. Everything David is imparting into Solomon, this is experience. This is through things that he has done through trial and error. Because he sought God in a caved grotto, hiding out in the mud in the muck, waiting for Saul to come and kill him. And he sought after God. And Saul was delivered into the hand of David. And David took his sword and he cut the war skirt. That's a leather skirt, not some piece of cloth, to protect your thighs from being hit by a blade. He cut his war skirt off snuck up behind him. Lord, to God. That's some sneaky cutting right there. He put his enemy in his hand. That's why whenever... He's looking at Solomon right there in front of everybody. He's imparting into him the experiences that he's had before he was king, the experiences that he had as a boy leading himself out into the shepherd field defending from lions and bears as a young man and a warrior betrayed by his king hiding out in a grotto. He says, if you look for God, you'll be fi- he'll find you and you will find him. You're going to meet up with him if you seek him out. Glory to God. But if thou forsake him, He will cast thee off forever. David screamed out in Psalms, and he said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because at that point of the Holy Ghost, whenever there was an anointing placed on your life, you had to be anointed with oil, and you carried it for a season, and if you messed it up, it fell off this was not the dispensation of grace this was the dispensation of law this was not the dispensation of forgiveness this was the dispensation of sacrifice this was the area of the blood of goats and oxen and turtle doves that had to be burnt on an altar not the area of sacrifice of praise but the sacrifice of something that had to be tied down To a cold altar, cut its throat, let the blood drain and be set on fire. That's what it took to atone for sin in that day. That's how you got your mantle back in that time. This was a dispensation where you had to work for the love of God. The love of God was not freely given and David is imparting all of his life's lessons into Solomon in front of the entire nation of Israel, and Solomon has to stand there and take it before he's ever done anything. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee. Here comes the good part. You've got a verse in my Bible this thick, of all the bad and the warnings, to a verse of this thick for promise. I don't know how it is in your Bible. It says, take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. (laughs) That's it. Be strong and do it. Wow, he gives you an entire setup of the trouble of how God will get in your head, get in your heart, get in your business, call you out. And then he says, but God called you, not me. Before this, in this chapter, David lists all of his accolades and the things that he has accomplished as a man and as a king. And he says, Solomon, this is everything that I have done, but the one thing I want to do I cannot do because God said I couldn't do it. He called me to be a warrior. I had a desire to be a priest. But you, Solomon, are going to be the culmination, the fulfillment of everything that I established as a king. And at the end of it all, he says, be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. Not only did he tell him to be strong and do it, but he set up the entire history of accomplishments that he had done before you were even born. So the expectation level is kind of high. Maybe just a little. The pressure is immense. Solomon had to change his clothes after this because he done sweat through his inner and outer garment. How many of you have felt the presence of God on you while you're praying and you began to sweat? Anybody? Amen. When the heat of the Holy Ghost gets all upon you and you begin to sweat, when the pressure of the anointing starts to cover you and things begin to pour out of you, Because of the pressure. God hasn't even spoke to you yet. But because of the pressure of his presence, you are sweating it out just by him being there. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. You all still with me? Chapter 29 starts out with, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone... God hath chosen is yet young and tender. He wasn't even saying this to a man. He was saying this to somebody who was young and tender. Not yeah, 40s a man in the eyes of the Lord. So under 40, young and tender. All right, looky there. Amen. And the work is great for the place is not for man but for the Lord God, hallelujah. But listen to what David did for Solomon before he got there, because it looks like Solomon's getting ready to be crucified, but watch what David did. Listen to this, are you ready? Somebody say, I'm ready. ready. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold, for things to be made of gold, And the silver for the things to be made of silver and the brass for the things to be made of brass and the iron for the things to be made of iron and the wood for the things of wood onyx stones stones to be set glistering stones and of diverse colors and all the manner of precious stones and the marble stones in abundance just so that you know the most important things when you are listing them in the bible are put first and the least important things are put last. How many of you can afford marble countertops? That was the last thing on the list. That was the last thing on the list, was marble. The only reason why I have a marble countertop is because it is a scrap piece that was going to a bank that Grandpa hauled off and it leaned up in the garage and collected dust. And that is the only reason why I have a marble countertop. But I got one. That's right. He didn't say it. The generation before me took care of me. (laughs) Everything Moreover, because I have yet set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Over and above. That tells me that everything that Solomon needed to build this place was already set in place. Every piece of wood, every piece of gold, every piece of stone, every precious gem, every bit of coin that it would take to pay people to do the labor, it was already set up. It was already taken care of. The only thing that stopped David from building the house of God was a signature that said, go do it. And his obedience to the love of God That was it. Everything else had been set up and prepared. In closing, you would think that Solomon, having all this prepared for him, that he would be, usually people with this much power laid up for them are like an atom bomb. They destroy everything that they touch. Remember the great gadget, the concept of old money and new money? Usually people like that who get every single piece of what they need handed to them before they ever take on the responsibility of it completely destroy what they had and themselves and the people around them. Except Solomon. Here's the key. We're going to unlock a door. After he calms his nerves, after the crowd goes away, after everybody has disappeared, and Solomon's hands stop shaking from this public announcement, we are told in the scripture that the temple furniture in the tabernacle is over here, but the Ark of the Covenant is set up in a separate place, two different locations. The original tabernacle that Moses built, the one that hasn't gone to shreds and it's over 2,000 years old, it's still looking good, is hanging out in one place. But the Ark of the Covenant is in this own custom tabernacle that David had established and it's in a different place. They're actually across the city from each other. Solomon goes to where the Ark of the Covenant is and he gets alone. And in the midst of of that ark in second chronicles chapter 1 verse 7 it says in that night did god appear unto solomon and said unto him ask what i shall give thee so not only did solomon have all the political pressure the social pressure the bloodline pressure the responsibility of building the house of god the petition of taking care of the people, now God himself appears to Solomon and says, ask what I should give thee. Solomon has just been given the kingdom. Solomon has been given everything he needs to build the the temple. Anything and everything that Solomon could want in rulership And in physical desire has already been given to him but God makes it so that he appears in front of him and says ask me and I'll give it to you I don't even know if I could speak I'm not a hundred percent sure that I would know what to say I don't know if I would even have an answer because what Solomon has been taught up to this point is that if you are in the presence of God, you will die. Moses came down off of a mountain shining like a glowworm. The priest went in and sacrificed wrong and had to be drug out by an iron or a gold hook. If you are in the presence of God, you are going to die. That's what Solomon has been taught. But here the presence of God enters and it wasn't just the smoke and anointing of God. It was God and manifested in the flesh stands in front of him and says, ask me. Can you imagine the nerves and the sweat and the intensity that Solomon is feeling? Because it's not just daddy that has put everything on me. Now it's God asking me, what do I want? Solomon said unto God, thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father. Not even on himself yet and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David, my father, be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Meaning there's a lot of people to look over, God. You blessed my dad, now I need you to look over me. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I have, that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this thy people that is so great? And this is the response. And God said unto Solomon, because this was in thine heart. There's that heart again. In the heart. Because this was in thine heart, thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or Honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither ha- yet has asked for long life, but has asked wisdom. Everything that God just listed behind him, the life of his enemies, an extended life, wealth, and riches, is asked for by later kings. There was one king's life extended 10 years, 15 years. Everything that was just listed are things that future kings will ask for. Solomon asked for wisdom. But hath wisdom and knowledge for thyself that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee. And, there's a bonus. And I will give thee riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any thee have like after. So this morning, every bit of Holy Ghost that you felt, every bit of power and anointing that you walked into, every bit of tongues and prayers and prophecy that was said over your life, in front of the people, Be ready, because God is about to establish a kingdom in you, because you are the temples of the Holy Ghost. And inside of you is gold and silver and wood and marble and stones that are glistening, set up by the Holy Ghost, built by wisdom and knowledge, established by the generation before you, imparted into you by the understanding of an onlooking eye. Be ready, all you little temples of the Holy Ghost, because what you are about to go into is greater than what you came from. Be blessed this morning in Jesus' name. Receive your impartation. Receive your blessing. You are established forever and ever. Amen. The promises of God are yes and amen, and everything that you come against that the enemy has thrown at you will fall because you are the temples of the Holy Ghost, and you've seen how precious a physical temple of stone and wood was, how much more precious will the temple of flesh that God sets himself up in be to the eyes of the Lord? Pick that up. Amen. Be blessed this morning in Jesus' name.